DiscerningHearts.com presents The Doctors of the Church, The Charism of Wisdom with Dr. Matthew Bunsen. For over 20 years, Dr. Bunsen has been active in the area of Catholic social communications and education, including writing, editing, and teaching on a variety of topics related to church history, the papacy, the saints, and Catholic culture. He is the faculty chair at the Catholic Distance University a senior fellow of the St. Paul Center for Biblical Theology, and the author or co-author of over 50 books, including the Encyclopedia of Catholic History and the best-selling biographies of St. Damien of Molokai and St. Kateri Tekakowitha. He also serves as a senior editor for the National Catholic Register and is a senior contributor to EWTN News. The Doctors of the Church, The Charism of Wisdom, with Dr. Matthew Bunsen. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Welcome, Dr. Bunsen. It's very good to be with you uh, again, Chris. At the conclusion of our last conversation, we were discussing the death of St. Monica. And such a a poignant moment for St. Augustine, who would later then travel back home to Hippo. Yes, uh, it's interesting to think about the the transformation that we saw in our conversation about St. Augustine in the, the previous episode. He had undergone his famous baptism and was heading home. If his job done in Italy, then the path that had taken him there had brought him to where he needed to be. And that was transformed, baptized, and then ready to go back to his native Africa with the hope of forming a a kind of monastic community with the closest friends. He had just lost his mother, St. Monica, who, as we talked, had died at the Roman port of Ostia as they awaited their ship. But she, too, had done her job in finally bringing her son to the church. And so he set off from Africa, I think a very different man from the one who had arrived in Italy years before in search of truth and, at the time, social advancement. His mother was gone, but he'd been transformed by sanctifying grace. And one of the things that we can see in him is that he was very much cognizant of his past and deeply committed to that constant renewal and a permanent life of reform and penance to progress ever forward. He was also mindful of his past as he meditated on his experiences and how they were to be a part of the new life and sharing his experiences with others. Would you say, Matthew, that the experiences that he had in Italy on returning to Africa, particularly the encounter with those who were in error, Mm -hmm. that his response would be one of a more compassionate desire to help them as opposed to maybe a more intellectual hammering of truth. Yeah, I I, I agree with that. Um, Here was somebody who was very much aware, as I was saying, of his own past. He recognized that he had wallowed in sin and error for so many years And I I think it really prepared him powerfully to deal with uh, heretics who themselves were trapped in a web of misunderstanding, of self-delusion, of error. And 
it's it's interesting that that when he got home in 388, he he sold all of his goods, he gave away his family's money, and he kept only his family estate, which he used to form this sort of quasi monastic community at a, a town called Tagaste that he had really had in his mind when he was still in Milan. I, I mention this because it it flourished under Augustine, despite the fact that he imposed on it a host of requirements. It was said, for example, that all who entered were greeted by a sign that declared very simply, here we do not speak ill of anyone. It set the tone, I think, for the level of discussions, but also for uh, a starting point in his own mind of helping people to live in charity, as he did. And of course, his, his reputation uh, for learning soon spread across North Africa, uh, especially those who had some understanding of the person who had left compared to the person who'd returned. And as a result of that, when he visited the city of Hippo Regius, uh, it was a city in North Africa in 391, groups of Christians recognized him and they, they were fascinated by him. And word began to spread that this genius had arrived in Hippo. And he was seized by a crowd, carried to the aged bishop by the name of Valerius, and ordained a priest. Now, he accepted this ordination reluctantly, because he, he did feel himself unworthy. But he also realized that as a priest, he was better equipped to lead his community, to give his time to prayer, to study, and to preaching. And here we're seeing, and this ties into your question about dealing with error, you know, that in the first episode we looked at the, the conversion of Augustine, but there were two other conversions that he underwent. The first was making his learning available to others, and then the third was giving himself fully to others in Christ. And he realized that part of what it was to be a pastor among others was to offer people the gift of the truth. And so in 395, he was appointed, again, reluctantly, as coadjutor to the Diocese of Hippo and soon succeeded Valerius as bishop. But these years were filled with constant writing and the need to confront the crises caused by the Manichaeans, with whom, of course, he was very familiar, but also with the Donatists and the Pelagians. Donatus, help us to understand their mindset. Well, they were members of a schismatic sect that originated in North Africa during the early 4th century. The members of the Donatists emerged out of African Christian community of rigorists, meaning that those who were vehemently the so-called traditors or traitors, those Christians who had handed over the scriptures to Roman officials during the terrible persecutions under Emperor Diocletian. Efforts though, to convince them to return to the church on the part of Emperor Constantine the Great were eventually abandoned uh, because of their reluctance and, and, frankly, their stubbornness. Many of the Donatists turned to violence, forming roving bands of raiders, and the imperial government responded by launching an intervention in 347, and the oppression of the Donatists went on for years. For Augustine, the Donatists represented a serious misunderstanding of the truth of the sacraments. I mean, they basically argued that a, a priest who had sinned was no longer worthy of 
celebrating the sacraments and that the sacraments were no longer valid. And so in reply, Augustine taught important doctrinal truths concerning the sacraments, that the true minister of the sacraments is Christ, and thus the unworthiness of any minister does not in any way affect the efficacy of the sacrament. You know, the famous dictum ex opere operatio. The Pelagians, in the mind of Augustine, were even more serious because of their heretical ideas concerning grace, in which they argued, in essence, that an individual is a free and autonomous being who can achieve sanctity and salvation through unaided human effort. Now, the, the, the name of the sect comes from an English monk by the name of Pelagius, who was condemned by the Council of Carthage and, and a number of other councils, and was again condemned by the Council of Ephesus, very famously in 431. Augustine defended the true teachings of the Church, and for his defense of the doctrine concerning grace against the Pelagians, he earned the title of the Doctor of Grace. And it's really one of the uh, greatest contributions uh, to the history of the Church on the part of Augustine. A key to understanding St. Augustine was his concern then for each person, for the individual, and the relationship that they had with God. Very much so. And, and that's what's interesting here, because he was very concerned with uh, Scripture, with the texts of the early Church, uh, but he was also remarkably pastoral. You know, he preached several times a week to the faithful. He supported the poor and the orphans. He supervised the formation of the clergy. He organized these communities for men and women. And he was a living embodiment of how to be a Christian at a time, remember, when Christianity was still spreading, when Christianity was still sort of embedding itself into uh, the wider pagan culture out of which it had, it had emerged. And he came as a result to exercise a really vast influence uh, in his guidance of the church, not just in Hippo, but across the whole of Roman Africa, and even to a large degree, Christianity itself. And Augustine, I think, was very much aware of his own intellectual stature. But, and this is where that second conversion was very important, he recognized that he needed to take the Christian message to the simple. In other words, here was one of the greatest minds in the history of the church, certainly uh, one of the finest minds in the history of the late Roman Empire. But rather than live in the clouds, so to speak, writing lofty theological works, it was to that Christian message of Christ Jesus to the simple to those who could embrace it, but also to those who could understand it. He explained this, his, his, his intention, in a letter that he wrote to a colleague, the name of Evodius, in which he delayed the, the dictation of his book, De Trinitate, you know, on, on the Trinity. He said, because they're too demanding, and I think that few can understand them. And instead, he said, it is important to have more texts that will be helpful and useful to the many. So it served his purpose to communicate the faith in a way that everyone could understand rather than to write these great theological works. And, and that, in a way, became very much his task as a bishop and made him even more important 
to the church and to wider culture. It sounds as though, Matthew, that he really desired more that people could live out the teachings of Christ. This is how it's done out in the world, because then they became examples of Christ to the world. Yeah, that, that's absolutely true. For example, used simple poems in his teachings against the Donatists in a book, in, in his writings called the Psalmus, uh, in order to help people understand that it is only through church unity that our relationship with God can be fulfilled and that peace can grow in the world. So in other words, here was this, this brilliant mind talking to the people of his age and how to live the faith, how to live the faith in the world, and doing so in the means that they would understand. So he's a, he's a herald, in a way, of the magnificent evangelization, and even of the new evangelization. You know, uh, we talk today about the use of Twitter and other forms of social media. Well, that's exactly what Augustine did. Uh, if Twitter had been around, I think, in, in his time, he would have been tweeting, because that's the way to touch the heart of the average person out there who really didn't know that much about the faith. So his homilies were delivered off the cuff. Uh, they were then circulated because they were transcribed by uh, his secretaries and were then handed out to the average people. So there was a practice of publishing his thousands of homilies. Uh, explains why um, so many have been preserved, but added, of course, to the fact that it was then ad adopted, embraced, and used by uh, other bishops and priests as models for how to preach, but also for models for how to be good pastors. I mean, we forget the fact that uh, Augustine was such a wonderful pastor, and that was really proven in just his last years. Um, as we look at the, the terrible crises that beset the church in Roman Africa, with the invasion of Africa by the Vandals, uh, the most powerful of the Germanic tribes that had converted to the Christian heresy of Arianism and had already pillaged much of the Roman Empire in the West. And then uh, from around 429, you had another even greater uh, Germanic tribe, the Vandals, who passed the Straits of Gibraltar, what were then known to the late period Roman Empire as the Pillars of Hercules, as it has always as they've been called throughout the ancient world, and stormed into North Africa. And the invasion reached the, the rich African provinces. And they were described by uh, Posidius, uh, the writer and, and biographer of Augustine, as the destroyers of the Roman Empire. And they laid siege to Hippo. Now, this event was a source of such immense sorrow to Augustine, because he knew that Christians all over Africa were dying. And Posidius wrote of this, and it's a great quote, that more tears than usual were his bread. Night and day, when he had reached the very end of his life, his old age caused him, more than others, grief and mourning. And, and Posidius added that, that Augustine saw the massacres and the destruction of the city. He talks about houses in the countryside pulled down and the inhabitants killed by the enemy or put to flight. Private churches belonging to churches were demolished. Sacred virgins and, and religious scattered on every side. Some Augustine mourned and died under torture. Others were killed by the sword. Others were taken 
prisoner and, and brought into slavery. And yet, in the midst of this, what, what was Augustine's response? He gave comfort to the terrified inhabitants. He did a similar thing to refugees from Italy when they arrived after the sack of the city of Rome in 410. And he says to them, do not refuse to be rejuvenated, united to Christ, even in the old world, he tells them. We'll return in just a moment to The Doctors of the Church, The Charism of Wisdom, with Dr. Matthew Bunsen. Did you know that Discerning Hearts has a free app in which you can find all your favorite Discerning Hearts programming? Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Deacon James Keating, Mike Aquilina, Dr. Matthew Bunsen, and so many more are found on the Discerning Hearts free app. Did you also know that you can stream Discerning Hearts programming on numerous streaming platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and so many more. And did you know that Discerning Hearts also has the YouTube page? Be sure to check out all these different places where you can find Discerning Hearts. A Prayer of St. Ignatius of Loyola Take, Lord, and receive all my liberty, my memory, my understanding, and my entire will, all that I have and call my own. You have given all to me. To you, Lord, I return it. Everything is yours. Do with it what you will. Give me only your love and your grace. That is enough for me. Amen. Hello, my name is Deacon Omar Gutierrez, and I want to ask you to support Discerning Hearts in a special way. We, Chris McGregor, the board, and I all know that not everyone listening can help financially. We know we have listeners from all parts of the world, and we have made a commitment since the beginning to make the truths shared through Discerning Hearts totally free. So while you may not be able to contribute financially, what you can do is certainly pray, but also give us positive reviews on whatever platform you use to listen to us. If it's iTunes, Android, Stitcher, Spotify, however it is that you get these podcasts, or if you're on YouTube and you like our videos, please give us a good rating and write a review. The more good ratings and reviews we get, the higher our profile, and the more listeners will discover us, listeners who may have the means to contribute in the future. Please consider rating us and writing a positive review today. We now return to The Doctors of the Church, The Charism of Wisdom, with Dr. Matthew Bunsen. Do you think if he had not developed relationship with his flock, if he had not done what Pope Francis had spoken of, that a bishop should smell like their sheep, no. do you think his teachings would have taken such root in the hearts of the Church? Yeah, that's a, it's a, a wonderful question, and it ties again into that idea of the second and third conversions. In other words, we had, as, a, as we were saying, that first magnificent conversion of Augustine, but there was also the one of sharing that, of taking what he had learned and putting it at the service of others. So yes, I, I think 
we've talked about the, the great tension that had existed for so long in Augustine of searching for truth, the truth. And he always saw it, I think, as a, a somewhat lonely exercise, that it was his and his alone to try to find. But having found it, he realized that he had to have the, the context for living it, and, and that, of course, is the church. And all of this was preparation, I think, for his labors as a priest and as a bishop, and putting all of his talents at the service of others because he was giving all of his talents to Christ. So, yes, I, I think we cannot separate his intellectual achievements, vast as they were, uh, with the work that he has given to the church. Think, for example, of uh, John Paul II. The gifts of God to him were vast, and he put those to the service of the church. He put those as pope for the good of Christians everywhere, really for the good of the whole of humanity. And it is in that very act of generosity, I think, that they found uh, their true calling, but also within that community setting of the church, the ecclesial setting, they were able to reach souls of every generation throughout the, the passage of the, of the centuries. If you don't mind, Matthew, there's a particular passage that was written by St. Augustine that I kind of keep with me always. Mm -hmm. And if I could share that, sure. I, I'd love to know what your, your thoughts are on it. He said, some people, in order to discover God, read books. But here is a great book, the very appearance of created things. Look above you. Look below you. Note it. Read it. God, whom you want to discover, never wrote that book with ink. Instead, he set before your eyes the things that he had made. Can you ask for a louder voice than that? Why, heaven and earth shout at you. God made you. This is a man who had all those secretaries and wrote so many things. And yet he said, put that away and look around you. See what God has written for you. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the beauty of the created order. And there's a, a passage that Pope Benedict XVI um, and, and it's in his many discussions of Augustine, of course, Benedict concentrated on Augustine for his first doctoral dissertation. And it had to do with the fact that he said, when I read Augustine's writings, I do not get the impression that he is a man who died more than 1,600 years ago. I feel like he's a man of today. He's just a, a friend, a contemporary who speaks to me, who speaks to us, us with his fresh and timely faith. And he said, we see the everlasting timeliness of his faith, of the faith that comes from Christ, the eternal incarnate word, son of God and son of man. And we can see that his faith is not of the past, although it was preached yesterday. Uh, it, was, it is still timely for today, for Christ is truly yesterday, today and forever. And we're seeing the genius of Augustine in, in the passage that you just read, is something that we could say to everyone today, where we're caught up with our technology, we're caught up with constant uh, texting 
on our phones where we can spend an entire day oblivious to the world around us, tied as we are to our instruments of communication, and we cannot hear the greatest communication, which is the voice of God. When you really dive into St. Augustine's thoughts, in his, especially in the Confessions, he's speaking to us heart to heart of that beauty ever ancient, ever new. Yes. And we said this at the conclusion of the first part of our discussion, that it's hard to find anything quite as lovely as the Confessions. Imagine the being asked, all of us, to sit down and write an autobiography. Now, for almost all of us, our lives are thoroughly uninteresting, certainly compared to Augustine's. But being told that when we write this, we have to reveal the darkest aspects of our lives, our sins, and meditate on them, knowing full well that others will read this. I don't think very many of us would have the courage to put out there for the world to see our greatest failings, our private and public humiliations, and then to explain how we were able to crawl inch by inch out of the mud uh, without having it turn into um, an excessive exercise in uh, pride, uh, in sort of the self-revealing in order to gain fame and prominence. Um, we live in very much a voyeuristic culture. Augustine's humility in writing the Confessions, I think, is one of those incredible exercises in humility, as I was saying, but also in gift, because he, he understood that there were going to be countless others who would follow him with experiences similar to his of sinfulness, of pride, of lust, of greed, of the desire for worldly advancement. And he put all of himself before Christ in service, which meant that he put all of himself before others in service. And the confession stands then as a roadmap for all of us in, in trying to reform our own lives uh, through the transformation of grace through the, the transformation of love, but then putting ourselves at the service of Christ. And there are those beautiful passages uh, from Augustine where he says that God does not command what is impossible, but when he commands, he exhorts you to do what you can and to ask for what you cannot do. And God gives us the help so that the command becomes possible because, as, as Augustine wrote, he does not abandon us unless we abandon him first. Any final thoughts on the great St. Augustine? Yeah, we talked also about one other aspect about Augustine, and that is the idea of surrendering himself to authority and an unwillingness to surrender ourselves. Augustine made the, the wonderful comment that, do not think that you are drawn against your will. He said, the spirit is drawn also by love. But love, as he also observes, works, as he says, with liberal sweetness, 
So that the one who observes the precept with love observes it in freedom. And he adds the final dictum, that is that the law of freedom is the law of love. In finding love, found the real freedom that he'd always been searching for. As he said so famously, our hearts are restless, O Lord, until they rest in you. And Augustine found that rest and did everything for the rest of his life to try to communicate it to others. In closing, we should mention his passing. How did he die and leave this earth? And what do we know, if anything, more about his personal life? Well, his final days, as we saw, were filled with sorrow because of what he knew was the coming storm of the Germanic invasions of Africa. Uh, His friend Presidius recounted that uh, he was bedridden, that he asked that the penitential psalms be transcribed in huge letters and that the sheets be attached to the wall so that while he was bedridden, he could see and read and shed, as Presidius wrote, constant hot tears. Uh, He gave his last few days to solitude and prayer. Those who came to see him commented about his, his prayers, his tears. Soon after his death, the Vandals temporarily lifted the siege of Hippo, but they returned and burned the city to the ground. They destroyed all of it and slaughtered most of the inhabitants. Two places were spared, however, curiously. One was the cathedral that Augustine had used as bishop. The second was his library. His body, at some point, was translated to Sardinia. And from there, around 725, to the Basilica of San Pietro in Ciel d'Oro in Pavia, where he rests today. And all of us can go to see him and to thank him for what he did for the church. Dr. Matthew Bunsen, thank you so much. A a pleasure and a privilege to be with you, Chris. You've been listening to The Doctors of the Church, The Charism of Wisdom with Dr. Matthew Bunsen. To hear and or to download this program along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission. And if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax deductible to support our efforts. But most of all, we pray that you will tell a friend about discerninghearts.com and join us next time for The Doctors of the Church, The Charism of Wisdom with Dr. Matthew Bunsen. 